Welcome to the Decorum Talking newspaper for the week ending Saturday, the 28th of May 2022. This is David, and your other readers this week are Susan, Graham, and Catherine. Your editor is Fowler, and we are Team 5. Our items are taken from the local Gazette and Express, serving Hemel Hempstead, Berkhamstead and Tring, and all telephone numbers are on the local code of 01442, unless it says otherwise. For those of you with computers, our website address is dtnhemel.org.uk. This paper's front page story headlines Hitting the Right Notes, Charity Opens Music Emporium in Hemel with Instruments for Sale, a repair workshop and a studio room. More on these and other local stories now follows. Hello, this is Susan. A charity has opened a music emporium in the Marlowe's shopping centre next to Brillen's Opticians to help local people with learning disabilities. Hertfordshire-based Electric Umbrella, EU, unveiled the newest addition to the centre on Saturday, May the 14th. Members can get work experience by working in the shop, which the public is encouraged to visit. Electric Umbrella member Rob was said to be ecstatic to experience the Emporium, which he will work at as part of his work experience for the first time. Rob said, I think it's absolutely wonderful. The Emporium has got everything that people could hope for. It's really fun and it will draw lots of people in. Following the success of the charity's 1,000 Instruments campaign, EU decided to use their new items in the shop. Hello, this is Graham. The store will be a place for Electric Umbrella members to develop and learn skills, and they can use the brand new studio and live room to create music. He added, I will learn how things run with all the great people that are here and learn different skills, stuff that I didn't know before, and I think I'll get fun out of it as well. Mel Boda, Electric Umbrella co-founder and CEO, says that the opening of the Electric Umbrella Emporium is a dream come true. She said, Electric Umbrella is all about putting our learning disabled members centre stage, providing them with a purpose by creating meaningful opportunities. Miss Boda added, it's really important our Emporium is located in the Marlows in the heart of the town centre so the public can see the outstanding contribution our members make to the wider community. Helen Gray, director of Hertfordshire Community Foundation, which gave money to Electric Umbrella to create this space, said, improving lives in Hertfordshire is at the core of Hertfordshire Community Foundation's work. She added, we are delighted to have been able to provide a grant towards making this initiative a reality and supporting Electric Umbrella in enriching local lives. Hello, I'm Catherine. A father of two from Hemel Hempstead is to cycle over 3,000 kilometres across Spain in 18 days with a group of friends to raise money for three charities. Will Jackson Moore will cycle with Jerry Siegel from Aldbury, Simon Abrahams and James Lumpkin along the 1968 route of the Tour de Spain, Tour of Spain. Money raised during the tour will go towards Cancer Research UK, Dutch End's Muscular Dystrophy and Hart's Young Homeless. Will's mother Anne died of ovarian cancer 
and the group set off their cycle on her birthday, May 21st. Will said, My mum passed away from cancer and went through many different stages of the disease. There's been a lot of history of cancer throughout my family, but we've seen the research and progress made over the years with the different treatments coming through. He added, That's why Cancer Research UK funding is so important. We know that continued research will make a difference. Will is a keen cyclist and raised £100,000 in 2018 by completing the 1968 Tour de France route. But he says that by day six, his body will be suffering. The 53-year-old said, We're all keen cyclists and we do it because we enjoy cycling. But very few cyclists ever cycle more than a few consecutive days. He continued, The enjoyment factor might be there at the start, but at the end, it's a massive endurance thing, so we're really putting ourselves through it. The team set off from the northeastern city of Tharagotha on Saturday, May the 21st, and is due to arrive in Bilbao on June the 7th. Will said, The fact you're doing something so challenging and raising money for others is just absolutely phenomenal. Cancer research spokesperson for Hertfordshire, Elisa Mitchell, said, We are all in awe of Will and his teammates for embarking on such a gruelling adventure to help support Cancer Research UK. We wish them lots of luck and good weather along the way. Donations can be made via Will's fundraising site, willtar.org. It's a milestone like no other, as on February the 6th this year, Queen Elizabeth II became the first British monarch to celebrate a platinum jubilee. To mark this unprecedented anniversary, events and initiatives have taken place throughout the year and will culminate in a four-day UK bank holiday celebration weekend from Thursday, June the 2nd to Sunday, June the 5th. The special extended bank holiday weekend will provide an opportunity for communities and people throughout the United Kingdom to come together to celebrate the historic milestone. The four days of celebrations will include public events and community activities, as well as national moments of reflection on the Queen's 70 years of service. The Queen's Birthday Parade Trooping the Colour There will be parading soldiers, horses and musicians who will come together in the traditional parade to mark the Queen's official birthday, usually held on the second Saturday in June. Beginning at Buckingham Palace, the parade will move down the Mall to Horse Guards Parade, joined by members of the Royal Family on horseback and in carriages. The parade will close with the traditional RAF fly-past, watched by the Queen and members of the Royal Family from the Buckingham Palace balcony. Service of Thanksgiving. A service of Thanksgiving for the Queen's reign will be held at St Paul's Cathedral on Friday, June the 3rd. Platinum Jubilee Beacons. The United Kingdom's long tradition of celebrating royal jubilees, weddings and coronations with the lighting of beacons will continue for the Platinum Jubilee. A beacon chain, once used as a tool for communication, has now become a symbol of unity across towns, borders, countries and continents and is often the central point of focus for any outdoor gathering or celebration. In 1897, 
beacons were lit to celebrate Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee. In 1977, 2002 and 2012, beacons, were commemorate, or beacons commemorated the silver, golden and diamond jubilees of the Queen and in 2016, Her Majesty's 90th birthday. There are three kinds of beacon events. Community beacons... Thousands of beacons will be lit by communities, charities and different groups throughout the regions of the UK, Channel Islands, Isle of Man and UK Overseas Territories. Commonwealth beacons. Beacons will be lit in all capital cities of the Commonwealth, 54 in total. Principal beacon. To be lit on the 2nd of June in a special ceremony at Buckingham Palace. Find out more by visiting queensjubileebeacons.com website Now, a brief look at readers' letters and emails with this from Jennifer White of the Peter Foundation. As Portugal, Spain and the United States and now the UK have confirmed outbreaks of monkeypox, it's high time we acknowledge that continuing to mistreat animals risks triggering the next global pandemic. There's been a tenfold increase in human cases of monkeypox since the 1970s, and a report in February warned that the threat from it should not be underestimated. Snatching animals from their natural homes, confining them to filthy cages in unnaturally close proximity at markets or on farms, and eating them will lead to more zoonotic diseases like monkeypox, with unpredictable mutations and potentially deadly outcomes. Monkeypox was first seen outside Africa in 2003, when it spread to humans from exotic animals exported to be kept as pets. It can also be caught by eating animals infected with the virus. Around three quarters of recently emerged infectious diseases in humans, including SARS, swine flu and COVID-19, were transferred from other species. Humans must act fast to prevent the next pandemic, and we can start by leaving animals in peace. It's time we all played our part in moving forward uh, to a safer future by eating only healthy and nutritious plant-based food. And with this email from Carmen Mill, we close the section. I'm glad to see there is more interest and promotion of female sports these days. Yet I wonder if there will ever be equality. I have heard so many people, usually men, say that women's sport isn't as exciting to watch, and that's why it's fair for them to be paid less. What a load of nonsense. It's clear that society is, and always has been, weighted in favour of men. Women's sport is often far more skilful, and they do it for the love of the game rather than the love of fame and riches. I really hope people turn out and show some great support for the Women's World Cup, as well as all the other incredible matches that take place in all sports. Wouldn't it be nice if our children could grow up to know that it didn't matter if they're a boy or a girl, they will be treated the same? This is much more likely to happen when newspapers and all the broadcasters pay as much attention to women's sport as they do to men's. Come on, let's see some positive change which will help everybody. If the public showed interest, 
that would force more games to be shown on television and it might ultimately impact pay. You'll be guaranteed a warm welcome, which certainly can't be said for all men's sports. We return to the local news. Princess Elizabeth ascended to the throne on the death of her father, George VI, on February 6, 1952. During 1951, George VI's health declined and Elizabeth, groomed for public service from her youngest years, frequently stood in for him at public events. In early 1952, Elizabeth and Philip set out for a tour of Australia and New Zealand by way of Kenya. They had just returned to their Kenyan home, Sagana Lodge, when word arrived of the death of the king. Philip broke the news to the new queen and the royal party returned to the United Kingdom. Despite the death of Queen Mary, her grandmother, on March 24, the coronation on June 2, 1953, went ahead as planned. The coronation was to reflect the pomp, circumstance, dignity and quiet glamour that would define Elizabeth's first decade as the monarch. The ceremony in Westminster Abbey, with the exception of the anointing and communion, was televised for the first time. Elizabeth's coronation gown was embroidered on her instructions with the floral emblems of Commonwealth countries. It included English Tudor rose, Scots thistle, Welsh leek, Irish shamrock, Australian wattle, Canadian maple leaf, New Zealand silver fern, South African protea, lotus flowers for India and Ceylon, and Pakistan's wheat, cotton and jute. In 1953, the Queen and her husband embarked on a seven-month round-the-world tour, visiting 13 countries and covering more than 40,000 miles by land, sea and air. She became the first reigning monarch of Australia and New Zealand to visit those nations. People turned out in their thousands to cheer their new monarch and her consort. Monarch never openly interferes with matters of state, although sometimes it has proved hard to hide their neutrality. In November 1956, Britain and France invaded Egypt in an ultimately unsuccessful attempt to capture the Suez Canal. Lord Mountbatten claimed the Queen was opposed to the invasion. Eden denied it, resigning two months later. Because the Conservatives did not have the mechanism to choose a new leader, it fell to the Queen to decide whom to commission to form a government. Consultations resulted in the Queen appointing Harold Macmillan. The Suez Crisis and the choice of Eden's successor led to the first major personal criticism of the Queen. In a magazine which he owned and edited, Lord Altrincham accused her of being out of touch. The Queen's Christmas speech was broadcast on TV live for the first time in 1957. By 1959, the Queen was pregnant for the third time. Andrew was born on February the 19th, 1960. More dogs were reported stolen in Hertfordshire last year, figures reveal. People in decorum are warned to keep their pets safe, as more dogs were reported stolen in Hertfordshire last year than since records began. A missing pets charity said an increase in dog thefts across the UK is linked to the coronavirus pandemic, 
and warned new owners might accidentally be buying stolen dogs. Hertfordshire Constabulary recorded 47 dog thefts in 2021, according to a Freedom of Information request from Direct Line Pet Insurance. This was up from 33 in 2020, and the highest number since the company's records began in 2015. Across the UK, 2,077 dogs were reported stolen to 35 police forces, though Direct Line Pet Insurance estimates the real figure to be as high as 2,760. This estimate was up from 2,438 in 2020 and the highest number since their records began in 2015. Madeline Pike, veterinary nurse for Direct Line Pet Insurance, said, It's devastating to see the number of dogs stolen continue to increase across the country. Unfortunately, the increase in dog ownership since the pandemic began and the subsequent rise in prices of these animals seems to make the crime even more appealing to thieves. She said dog owners should take precautions such as keeping their pets on a lead when in busy areas and avoiding leaving a dog tied up outside a shop or left inside an empty car. Difford and Powys saw the highest rate of stolen canines last year, with 36 incidents per 100,000 households. Meanwhile, Surrey had a rate of just two dog thefts per 100,000 households. In Hertfordshire, the rate was 10. The Stolen and Missing Pets Alliance said the demand for dogs during lockdown caused a huge spike in them being stolen for breeding, with their value also increasing. Debbie Matthews, chief executive of the charity, said dogs were also essentially being stolen to order for people who were looking for a certain breed but would never know that they were receiving a stolen dog. We would always recommend that a new owner gets the pet's microchip registration checked as soon as possible. Direct Line Pet Insurance said French Bulldogs were the most stolen breed in 2021, followed by Jack Russell's Chihuahuas and Pugs. Children in Hertfordshire will now learn about hate crimes and how to combat them, thanks to a new scheme. Hearts Against Hate launched a free teaching unit last week for schools to use in personal, social, health and economic PSHE lessons. The teaching pack was produced by the Hearts for Learning Wellbeing team for Hertfordshire County Community Safety Unit and includes lessons and resources for Key Stage 2 and 3 pupils, years 5 to 6 and 7 to 9. Hertfordshire's hate crime lead, Detective Chief Inspector Pete Frost, said, We want young people to grow up knowing that hate crime is unacceptable and will not be tolerated in Hertfordshire, and you should report it, not ignore it. He added, the impact of hate crime can be devastating. It can cause people to lose their confidence and be fearful about coming and going from their home, being out and about in public places, or just going out about or just going about their daily lives. Councillor Maurice Bright, Cabinet Member for Community Safety in Hertfordshire County Council, said we want to make Hertfordshire safer for everyone, rejecting hatred and violence of all kinds. 
policies are a simple way of teaching children about hate crime, how to report it, and showing understanding and empathy to victims of hate crime. UK law recognises five types of hate crime on the basis of race, religion, disability, sexual orientation and transgender identity. Any crime can be prosecuted as a hate crime if the offender has demonstrated or been motivated by hostility based on at least one of the five protected characteristics. Reception children have fallen behind due to COVID-19 disruption. Four- and five-year-olds were less likely to meet expected levels of development in 2021 than before the pandemic. The children have been disadvantaged in social and emotional well-being, numeracy skills and language. Three in four children need more support now than before the pandemic. Only 59% of children reached the expected levels in all areas in 2021, compared to 72% in 2019, equivalent to an average of three more children in every classroom not reaching the expected levels. Four fly tippers have been slapped with fines totalling over £8,000 after being caught on camera dumping rubbish in decorum. They dump boxes, a stepladder, furniture, a TV and fridge freezers in decorum from March to October last year. Decorum Borough Council prosecuted the four who appeared in Auburn's Magistrates Court on May the 11th. Ishmael Paraluka of Harrington Road, London was fined for fly tipping 15 cardboard boxes 10 black refuse sacks and a stepladder at Coles Lane, Flamstead in March 2021. Kawaja Wani of Harefield Road, Luton was fined for dumping furniture at Coles Lane, Flamstead in September. Selvin Matthew and Babby Joseph, who live at separate addresses in Gardenia Avenue, Luton, were caught fly-tipping household waste in October. The pair dumped dining chairs, sofas a TV and fridge freezers and other small household items at a rural lane near Flampstead. As part of the investigations, all defendants were traced by their vehicles and interviewed under caution by our enforcement officers about the offences. All admitted to the investigating officers that they had unlawfully dumped the waste. Councillor Julie Banks, Portfolio Holder for Community and Regulatory Services, said, This is a successful day at court in the battle against fly-tippers. In decorum, we continue to take a zero-tolerance approach to environmental crime and in particular fly-tipping. Councillor Banks added, Our environmental enforcement officers work hard to assess and visit every reported incident of fly-tipping in the borough to evidence the fly-tipping and investigate where possible who was responsible for dumping it and or where it has come from. The team will then issue fixed penalty notices where possible or collect evidence for larger prosecutions if necessary. Decorum Borough Council issued a total of 59 fixed penalty notices in 2021 and 2022 for waste crime. You can report fly-tipping via decorum.gov.uk. 
the Quorum Borough Council is collaborating with a community engagement platform and 3D modelling website to improve how local people get involved with planning decisions. Commonplace and VU.City are part of the project which is funded by the Department for Leveling Up Housing and Communities to use 3D images and voice technology to modernise the planning process. Residents can leave suggestions about the future of Hemel Hempstead. Dukorum Borough Council's local plan found that the regeneration of Hemel Hempstead was a key priority for the local community. Local regeneration includes an opportunity area in the south known as Two Waters. Residents will be able to visualise changes and share their thoughts on improvements. Councillor Alan Anderson, portfolio holder for planning and infrastructure, said, This is a great chance for residents to have their say about what makes Two Waters special to them. Using the latest engagement technology, the feedback will help us to prepare new guidance and shape the future of the area. The new online hub will use news updates to notify residents when planning applications are being published or updates have been made to existing ones. An elderly couple say the assistance they had pre-booked failed to materialise at Luton Airport. Diane Brooks, aged 76, had to walk with a stick from the baggage carousel to the pick-up point for their bus to the car park after her husband Clive, aged 79, was unable to push her wheelchair and the luggage. And Diane, who says they had similar problems last year at the airport, has slammed the support for disabled people as a farce. But Luton Airport says it's committed to ensuring all passengers have the best possible experience. The couple from Hemel Hempstead had spent 10 days in Lanzarote, and had booked assistance in both Lanzarote and Luton. While Diane says the Lanzarote side of things was great, Luton's left much to be desired. The whole system at Luton for disabled people is just a farce, she said. They haven't got the staff and they just don't seem to be bothered. She added, After we got off the plane, we were told by a person helping someone else that they would call for someone to help us, and no one arrived. Diane said she was told special assistant staffing was down from 160 people pre-COVID to around 60 people now. The ones that are there for you, they do their best, but it's all the fault of the firm, she said. A London Luton Airport spokesperson said, Upon arrival, Mr and Mrs Brooks were assisted from the aircraft to passport control, where unfortunately further help was not immediately available. Having waited for approximately 10 minutes, Mr and Mrs Brooks then took the decision to continue their journey without further assistance. We are fully committed to ensuring that all passengers have the best possible experience when travelling through London Luton Airport and we sincerely apologise if we fell short of expectations on this occasion. Nick Galley, Airport Services Director at Wilson James said, anyone using London Luton Airport with mobility or disability needs is able to call on our special assistance team who will help them get around the airport or on and off the plane. The service is free of charge 
and should be requested at the time when the flights are booked or at least 48 hours before the flight departure time. A preschool in Boxmoor has been awarded a good rating from Ofsted. Inspectors visited the nursery on Foster Road at the end of March and says that it continues to be a good school. The Ofsted report, which was recently published online, says children show high levels of engagement during story sessions. Older children are well prepared for school, it continued. They listen attentively at group time and learn to do things independently. For example, they recognise their own names for self-registration and put on their coats and shoes. Chloe Marshall, a deputy manager at Footsteps Nursery and Preschool, is pleased with the outcome and has said, It is a fair reflection of the hard work which has gone into running the nursery, especially with the challenges thrown up by the pandemic since 2020. Now we come to the information slot. This is followed by the obituaries, what's on and more news. Some local outings in June 2022, organised by Community Action Decorum. On Thursday the 9th of June, a waterways experience boat trip, priced £25. On Tuesday the 21st of June, a trip to World's End Garden Centre, Price £9. To book, please ring Community Action Decorum Transport Manager Monday to Friday, 9am to 3pm on 212-888 or 617-634 switchboard 253-935. Five ways you can treat hay fever without medication. Some hay fever medicines are in short supply across the UK due to a lack of key ingredient, chlorphenamine malate. It's advisable to see your GP if you're really struggling with hay fever, but if you can't get your usual medication you usually use or want to try managing your symptoms without popping a pill, there are some things to try. 1. Shade your eyes. Hay fever tends to fester in your eyes, explains Alex Ioannidis, ophthalmic surgeon at Moorfields Eye Hospital. You're likely to experience burning, stinging and swelling in the eyelids and conjunctiva, the clear tissue that covers the surface of your eyeballs, which may give you a runny nose, constant sneezing and even blurred vision. Sunglasses are great as a preventative measure for hay fever. Go for a wraparound pair to help reduce pollen contact with your eyes. Two, work out more. Ioannidis suggests exercise could be a great way to help ease your hay fever. If you do decide to get moving, he says, outdoor running and cycling are best done in the middle of the day when the pollen count is usually at its lowest. Priya Chu, dietitian and TV presenter, suggests you might want to consider your diet too. Almost all foods contain histamine, the chemical our bodies release in response to allergens. The longer a food ages or ferments, the higher the level of histamine, 
and the increased likelihood of impacting the allergy symptoms, explains Chu. So high levels of histamine in our diet can intensify hay fever symptoms like runny noses and headaches. High histamine foods include dairy cheese, fermented dairy cream, packaged meats, smoked fish, red wine and beer. So instead, she recommends a diet with lots of fresh produce like fruit and vegetables, which contain lower histamine levels. However, Chu warns against making big diet changes too quickly. Try adapting your diet to reduce histamine levels for just a couple of weeks, she says, and monitor your resulting hay fever symptoms. You can then reintroduce foods individually to help understand what triggers your hay fever symptoms. Petroleum jelly below your nose is also recommended, such as Vaseline, as a pollen barrier beneath your nose. This petroleum jelly-based product can play a huge part in the battle against hay fever by keeping pollen out of the nose. Dabbing a little around the nostrils can help prevent the tiny airborne substance from entering your respiratory system when you breathe in. And lastly, stop smoking. While quitting a smoking habit is good for your health all year round, it can also be a useful weapon in the war against hay fever. Uai says, cigarette smoke can make symptoms of hay fever worse, as it can irritate the lining of your airways. Obituaries recorded on the family announcements page this week are Chris and Janie Cox, Doreen Lillian Horstead and Hilda May Masters. May they rest in peace. And now some of what's on. A Midsummer Night's Dream, the Roman Theatre of Verulamium, Blue House Hill, St Albans, until June the 11th. The Roman Theatre Open Air Festival opens in style with Ovo's high-energy production of Shakespeare's much-loved magical comedy. Sporting a glamorously attired cast, the production will transport audiences to the glittering, hustling, hip-swivelling age of the 1970s disco boom. Starring some of the Roman theatre and Malting theatre's most popular actors, including Emma Wright as Titania, Guido Garcia Leches as Puck, and Lyle Fulton as Lysander, with Amelia Harold as Hermia, the play promises to have audiences singing along to the blissful disco soundtrack and even joining in some of the action. Visit ovo.org. UK to book. Tring's Comedy Festival, the Tringe, will return to the town after a two-year break due to the coronavirus pandemic. The festival, which is held over three weeks starting on July 3rd, offers comedians a final rehearsal before going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in August. Get Stuffed Comedy Club's event We'll see more than 40 acts perform with comedy legend Bobby Davro part of the lineup. The likes of Russell Kane, Zoe Lyons, Angela Barnes, Hal Cruttenden, Jodie Love, The Chases' Paul Sinner, Simon Brodkin, known for his character Lee Nelson, are all performing at the Tringe Festival. 
Tringe has welcomed performers like Josh Widdicombe, Ramesh Ranganathan and Milton Jones in the past. Get Stuffed Comedy Club has been running the festival since 2010. Tickets and more information about the festival can be found at get-stuffed.biz forward slash tringe. Boxmoor's Scarecrow Festival returns this July for its annual trail and has expanded the entrance to people across Boxmoor for this year's event. For people living within one kilometre of Boxmoor Primary School, they can make and display a scarecrow in their homes. For people who live further afield, the festival will display the creations on the school grounds. The entry fee is £5 and all scarecrows will feature on the trail map on July 2nd and 3rd. Boxmoor Primary School's Parent Teacher Association have created the festival with Claire Sears and Emma Judd running this event. Claire said, Following a hugely successful event in 2021, we have decided again to put on the Boxmoor Scarecrow Festival and Trail to raise money for Boxmoor Primary School. Emma added, It was so lovely to see people from the local area, the wider town, and from further afield coming to Boxmoor last July to enjoy the many wonderful and creative scarecrows on display. This year, the event runs on the 2nd and 3rd of July, and we're inviting non-school families to participate in showing a scarecrow. Last year's festival saw scarecrows made from recycled materials, wedding attire and a minion bucket. The winner from 2021 was a scarecrow of Freddie Mercury. All money from the event will go to Boxmore Primary School PTA. Now news of another Jubilee event. Hemel Hempstead Business Improvement District, BID, is holding a free activity day for decorum residents to come together and enjoy Platinum Jubilee festivities. The free day-long event, which is held on Sunday, June the 5th, will have giant games, a jubilee bus and a music stage. Residents can enjoy a game of crazy golf or visit the Decorum Arts Hub. Throughout the day, Hemel Hempstead Theatre Company, Babette Smith, Beth Hawkins, Rock Coyer and Josh Robinson will perform in the town centre. The Hemel Hempstead BID will have picnics on sale for families to enjoy on deck chairs and tables around the town. More information about the event can be found at hemelhempsteadbid.com. From the start of the first lockdown in March 2020, we at Community Action Decorum, CAD, as the umbrella organisation for the voluntary sector in the borough, working in partnership with Hearts Help, supported individual residents and local community organisations to make sure residents got the support they needed. At our volunteer centre, the Roundhouse on Marlowe's, we interviewed and checked ID for over a thousand local volunteers to support our work and that of other frontline charities. Our volunteers delivered shopping and prescriptions to isolating and vulnerable residents, drove people to medical hospital appointments, made befriending calls and marshalled at both the Maxted Road and Hemel Hospital vaccination centres. 
Over the last two years, our CAD volunteers covered over 50,000 hours of volunteering and to celebrate this, we held a thank you event at Shendish Manor on Thursday last week. Volunteers were thanked by our CEO, Dr Simon Alton, who stunned everyone with details of the sheer volume of work that our teams carried out. He said, we are enormously proud to have helped the NHS administer over a quarter of a million vaccination shots to people across decorum. This was only ever possible thanks to the army of volunteers who gave their time. We can never thank them enough. The volunteers were welcomed by Councillor John Birney, the new Mayor of Decorum, and thanks also came from councillors, the Director of Nursing for Hearts NHS Community Trust, and the Right Honourable Sir Mike Penning MP. Cats Protection, Hemel Hempstead and Berkhamsted are looking for a suitable family for a senior cat who is needing a forever home. Hamilton is needing a calm house with no small children and would need to be the only pet. He is said to love company, so would need someone with him during the day. This senior cat is a friendly chap who loves attention and food equally. He's an easygoing and chatty boy who's always purring and loves being in people's company. Hamilton may be an older cat, but he is young at heart and loves to play with his toys. He would also like access to a secure garden, which is away from any main roads once he has settled in. People interested in adopting Hamilton can email debs.catprotection1 at outlook.com. And now, this week in history. On May the 25th, 1986, Bob Geldof's Race Against Time had 30 million people worldwide running for sport aid to raise money for the starving in Africa. On this day last year, a new study which scientists suggest might pave the way for more treatments for COVID-19 variants and fresh coronaviruses was published. May the 26th, 1969, John Lennon and Yoko Ono began a bed-in for world peace in a Montreal hotel. On May the 27th, 1941, the German battleship Bismarck was sunk. On this day last year, the highly awaited Friends of the Reunion aired, featuring the original cast and cameos from David Beckham, Lady Gaga and Malala Yousafzai. May the 28th, 1934, the first Glyndebourne Festival Opera opened. On this day last year, a single-dose Covid vaccine was approved for use in the UK. On May the 29th, 1982, Pope John Paul II became the first Pope in 450 years to step onto British soil and the first to pray side-by-side side with the Archbishop of Canterbury in Canterbury Cathedral. On May the 30th, 1959, the first full-sized experimental hovercraft built by Saunders Row was launched at Cowes on the Isle of Wight. On this day last year, Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced that he'd married Carrie Simmons in a secretly planned wedding at Westminster Cathedral the day before. These days, there are two subjects which are almost guaranteed to spark a lively discussion between pretty much anybody. The weather and supermarket self-checkouts. Commenting 
on the unseasonal conditions with an old deer dragging a tartan shopping trolley or a bloke nursing a pint of best in the corner of the snug bar has been standard practice on these shores since pointless small talk became a thing. However, since the turn of the century, idle chit-chat has become that much more tedious thanks to the relentless march of those divisive devices that appear to be absolutely everywhere. Rather like backsides, everybody has an opinion on self-checkouts, with one popular take being that they're further evidence of an international conspiracy which would see us ruled by Metal Mickey and his mates. Brought in to reduce queues, it is estimated that there will be more than a million of these contraptions worldwide within the middle of the decade, which means they must be popular with some shoppers. However, the backlash against them shows no sign of going away, with one furious pensioner launching a petition which called on Tesco's to stop replacing staff with such machines. Pat McCarthy's complaints that card-only tools ostracised many of society's weakest has certainly struck a chord, with more than 100,000 people signing a petition in a matter of days. While Pat has a point that many people struggle with automated tools and would prefer to be served by a kind-looking granny called Brenda, it is unlikely that the retail giant will listen to the complaints of Luddites like me. Personally, I can't get on with them. I never have been able to, but then I'm no bellwether of how sensible human beings interact with technology. I can just about manage to log on the system for work each day, and my Alexa regularly misunderstands my simple commands to tune in to Ken Bruce. Despite my many misgivings, I still persevere with using these robo-tills, especially when I visit my local German discount supermarket for a seeded batch loaf and a blowtorch, and there's only one normal till manned. I usually say a little prayer under my breath, asking for divine intervention to prevent me from publicly humiliating myself again, before stepping forward to do a job that I have neither any qualifications nor desire to do. Pretty much without fail, something always goes wrong for me. Be it me inadvertently resting my bulk on the weighing area, or being unable to scan a family pack of cheese and onion. This inevitably means that the busiest member of staff on duty, the poor devil tasked with helping frustrated shoppers in a rush to work a machine that many of us cannot fathom, has, come, has to come to my rescue. While they, are always professional, while they are always professional, I can always detect a hint of a sigh as they sidle up to me and press a few buttons before getting me back in business. To overcome my obvious shortcomings, I've started to take my 12-year-old to the shops because she rarely has trouble making these things work, much to my embarrassment. There was a time when I flatly refused to use them because I believed that by doing so I was sending shop workers to the job centre. But we live in an era when there are now more vacancies than there are unemployed people. These tills are here to stay, although more consideration should be given to older members of society, many of whom not only prefer to use cash, but benefit from the brief conversation with the person scanning their shopping. We need to stop the grumbling. Mexican cuisine might conjure up images of tacos al pasta with barbecue pork, meat-packed enchiladas 
or fish-topped tostadas. But Tomasina Mears says historically, Mexican fare is much more heavily focused on fruit and vegetables. It's one of the most biodiverse countries in the world, and the foundations of the diet are corn, beans, the courgette plant, tomatoes, chilies, and wild herbs, says Mears, aged 46. Mexico has around 50,000 native plant species, by some estimates, with some 200 varieties of chili alone, compared with the UK and Ireland's 1,500 or so. Protein often came from moles, a traditional type of sauce made from beans, enriched with lots of ground seeds, says Mears. The authentic way to make it is often very complicated, with 37 ingredients, but don't worry, she has recipes with just eight. A lot of the housewives in Mexico make their own vinegars at home out of guava, pineapple or apple, she notes. The idea of packing your diet with a rainbow of vegetables is very much the focus of her new book, Meat Free Mexican. I think we're really beginning to think about food as medicine much more these days, which I think is completely right, she says. Plus, people are looking at eating less meat anyway because environmentally, how much meat we're eating is a total catastrophe. For Mears, who won MasterChef in 2005 and is the brains behind the hugely successful Oaxaca chain of Mexican restaurants, where 50% of the menus are now vegetarian, says, I love that ancient Mexican food and the modern way we're all kind of starting to eat feel very in synergy together. From plant-based versions of Mexican classics like beetroot, ceveche, celeriac and charred enchiladas, chickpea rancheros and cauliflower tacos to vegetable dishes that celebrate Mexican spices and flavourings like chipotle tamarind baked sweet potato gratin and baked polenta with veracruz and sauce, her eighth cookbook and a third Mexican-focused is like all of her recipes for people who are busy. So although some are longer, it all feels doable for the time-starved generation. A Korean war veteran from Hemel Hempstead and his nephew went to the Buckingham Palace for a garden party on May 12th. Ron Stevens was nominated to go to the event in London by the Korean Veterans Association, of which he has been an active member for years. Ron said... I had a lovely and memorable day. It was a great honour to be invited and mix with other veterans. The party was organised by the Not Forgotten Association, an organisation which offers support to ex-service personnel. Her Royal Highness, Princess Anne, who is patron of the association, hosted the event in the absence of the Queen. Anne spent time speaking to the guests. Celebrities also came to the event with the likes of Sue Pollard, Craig Revel Horwood, Tony Blackburn, Anita Harris and Vanessa Feltz speaking to the veterans. Graham Gill, Ron's nephew, said that during the pandemic, his uncle had parcels sent from the Korean embassy containing face masks. He said there were also letters of appreciation for his service during the conflict. One letter stated, you risked your life to help us. Here is a gift which may help preserve yours. The Korean War, which lasted for three years from 1950 and is said to be one of the many forgotten wars, fought in the aftermath of World War II. 
an 18-year-old was threatened with a knife and had items taken from him during a robbery at Hemel Hempstead Skate Park. Detectives with Harvardshire Constabulary are now appealing for witnesses and information following the robbery. The teenager who was at the park with his friends was approached by two men who asked him to hand over his property. When he refused, a scuffle occurred and a knife was drawn, with the victim then handing over his black Nike man handbag. The suspects left on foot towards the high street. No one was injured during the incident. The incident happened at Gade Bridge Skate Park between 6.50pm and 7pm on Friday, May the 13th. Detective Constable James McPherson from the Decorum Local Crime Unit said, Thankfully, the victim was not injured during the incident, but has been left shaken by what happened. The park was busy at the time. I'm therefore appealing for anyone who saw the incident or may have seen the suspects in the area to please get in touch. You can report information online via web chat at hearts.police.uk or by calling 101 or contact Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 or online at crimestoppers-uk. The summer work has started for Hemel Hempstead town manager Mark Jones. The Tudors confirmed last week that nine members of last season's squad have been released as Jones gears up for his first full season at the helm at Vauxhall Road. Jones arrived early on during the 21-22 Vanarama National League South campaign and took over with Hemel sitting at the foot of the table. He led them away from danger before they eventually finished in 15th place. But the squad looks set to have a new look to it after Hemel confirmed that Cole Pikawa, Samir Carruthers, Chris Paul, Jacob Gardner-Smith, Pierre Foncou, Alfie Karuli, Hamilton Bunger and Kasper Griskziski and Dan Wishart have all been released. In a statement, the Tudors said the club would like to thank all of these players for their efforts whilst at the club and wish them all the very best for the future. Once discussions with the remaining members of the squad and possible new signings have concluded, we will make a further statement. Hemel, meanwhile, have confirmed they will be hosting an end-of-season presentation evening at Vauxhall Road on Friday, May 27th. The event will start at 7pm and fans are invited to come along to show their support. One team Hemel won't be playing in the National League South next season is Dorking Wanderers. The league's runners-up secured promotion to the National League after a dramatic playoff final win over Ebbsfleet United at the weekend. We are coming to the end of this week's news. Sunrise and sunset times for this weekend are 4.53 and 21.04. Don't forget, for those with access to the internet, our news is uploaded to our website soon after the recording each week on Thursday evening. This can be found by visiting dtnhemel.org.uk. If you wish to listen on Alexa, say, Alexa, Open the talking newspaper skill. 
Follow this with Play Decorum Talking Newspaper. Remember, information on local amenities and services follow after the final music of the recording of the news on the memory stick only. For those who are listening to this week's news on memory stick, at DTN we are still having some problems with the yellow pouches. Many disappear on their return journey to us or are delayed in reaching our listeners with the latest recording. We are trying to resolve these issues with Royal Mail and ask for your patience until the service improves. Please remove your memory stick carefully from the player and return it to us in the pouch provided. Turn the label over and post it back to us at the Adyfield Community Centre, the Queen's Square, Hemel Hempstead, HP2, 4EW using any Royal Mail postbox. No stamp is required. Thank you for listening. Until next time, it is goodbye from all your readers, the editor, and Mike and Martin, your technicians for this week. Please note, due to the bank holidays next week, we will not be recording your talking newspaper. See you in two weeks. Have a good break. (laughs) 